Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you, Van. Happy anniversary to me and my wife. 17 years on February 17. <laughs> Uh, so by now, my, you should have caught my name right. My name is Armin. I always forget to, uh, to introduce myself. But anyway, my name is Armin, and I will be delivering the message today. So I hope you would enjoy it the way I would enjoy uh, delivering the message. Amen? So we are on week two of the series Word View. And as you've already heard from last week, if you were not here uh, last week, it is a play on word, on the word, word view as in your world view so if you can make your word view which is your bible your word view then you can apply it as your world view and just a recap of last week let me just take this out just a recap of last week pastor mark i really enjoyed what pastor mark uh, brought us uh, last week he told us that the word is the foundation of life and then he allowed us to or he elaborated more on the word Word that in English the word word is defined as is only defined by one word, but in the Bible it is defined in three different uh, ways. It is defined as logos, the written word, of course Jesus who became uh, the the word in the flesh is the living word, and then of course you have the rhema word or a rebuild word. And as I was applying that all throughout the week, this is was my take on it. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, OP was teasing me. I was really onto the word. It's like when you ask the living word about the written word, he will give you a revealed word about the written word. Did you get it? When you ask Jesus about the Bible, the, the written word, the Holy Spirit, or rather Jesus through the Holy Spirit, will give you a rebuild word, a rhema word, regarding the written word. So I was, uh, as I was applying that last, uh, all throughout the week, God, re God gave me a, a rhema word. He gave me a, a rebuild word. And that's what I'm going to share uh, with you today. So just what's already been mentioned. So we are in this series about the Bible. And as already mentioned, the Bible, if you have not found out yet, the Bible is about 66 books. Okay, divided in the middle, not really the middle, but it's divided within the Old Testament and the New Testament. 49 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, just in case you're, one, just in case you're wondering. Okay, so the Old Testament and the New Testament. At one time, there was a brother that uh, I think we were doing a Bible study, and he made this comment regarding his observation of the Old Testament. And he said, you know... God is so mean in the Old Testament. That was his observation. Observation. If you have read through the Old Testament, you might also feel like that. You might have a, that observation. God looks so mean in the Old Testament. In another instance, we were doing uh, foundations for victory, and somebody came up with this question. Why is it that God is so full of punishment in the Old Testament? And that, if you, if, if you uh, take that, and if you apply that as your word view, then it may not be, <laughs> it might not be the best, rather, okay? I mean, but, is, but, but 
Is God mean in the Old Testament? Is that the truth? Is God mean? Hopefully not, right? Because where can we stand? So that, that's, that, that's, where, that's really where this uh, rebuild word was going through. I was asking uh, some question, and I'll tell you what the rebuild word is at the end. So if, if uh, and these are people in the church, okay? So if you, for, for some reason, or in your own walk of faith, you've come across that observation, I hope today you, will able to, you would be able to see that God is not mean, Okay? That God is not all about punishment, but he acts accordingly because of what we're going to talk about today. Okay, amen? Amen. Let's just pray. I think we need prayer for this. Father, thank you for who you are. And Father, thank you that you have given us the living word so that we can have a revealed word of your written word. And Father, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, Father, the things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Seeing the heart, to the, fa- the, the heart of the Father to the covenant. That's my title for today. 2 Timothy, go ahead. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to young pastor Timothy, and this is what he says. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is your leadership 215, Correct. There you go. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So Paul was telling young Timothy, you got to know how to, de- to rightly divide the word of truth. As I said, there's, here you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. That is one of the most obvious division of the Bible. You got an Old Testament truth and you got a New Testament truth. Okay? And that's what, what Paul was really telling Timothy. There are New Testament truth that applies to New Testament living. And there is Old Testament truth that applies to Old Testament living. We are living in the what? The New Testament. Okay. At least somebody knows where we're living at. We're living in Guam. Okay. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Rightly dividing the word of God. So New Testament and Old Testament. So let's jump in. The word testament when it's used in the Bible, it really means covenant. That's what it is. So it's really old covenant and new covenant. So the question now is, what is a covenant? What is a covenant? What is a covenant? In today's language, we, we barely hear the word covenant. What we can really hear is the word agreement, contracts. That's what it is. When you say, for example, you want a new car. But your wallet cannot afford a new car. Okay, but you want a new car. So you make a contract with the dealership and the bank, or really you make a contract with the bank. And what's, the, what's in the contract? The bank will say, okay, we'll pay for it. Here's your brand new car. You get a privilege of having a brand new car. What's your part to do in this agreement? Every 15th of the month, you need to pay, say, $300. Okay. You got to pay $300 every month. On top of that, you have to have a pool insurance, correct? And you got to pay your $300 every 15th of the month. Now, if if you uh, get behind, we'll give you three days so that you can pay it, okay? You won't, there will be no interest. But if you fail after three days, we got to put in an, an additional, say, $10, okay? So that's the agreement, and you got to do this for five years, 
until you pay off the car. So that's, that's what a, an agreement looks like. But if you go even bigger, countries have agreements. The United States makes so much agreements with every other countries in the world. The United Nations has agreement. And when they do agreements in the, in the political arena, they want it to be bilateral. They want it with equality. There has to be an equal value in the agreement, an equal size in the agreement, equal privileges in the agreement, and equal responsibility in the agreement. Correct? Who would actually have an agreement with somebody? So it's like, can you imagine Mark Zuckerberg, okay? Billionaire, owner of Facebook, founder of Facebook, comes down to me and said, Armin, here's $1 billion. I, first thing I'll probably ask is, what do I have to do? Okay, here's $1 billion, what do I have to do? See, and that's what the, when it comes to a man's agreement, they want it as equal as possible. Why? Because if it's not equal, the lesser becomes a gainer. The lesser party becomes a gainer. So man tries to make agreement as equal as possible. But with God, it is not a bilateral agreement. It is a unilateral agreement. Man has nothing to offer God, but God has everything to offer man. And that's what the first covenant is all about. Or that's what the covenant is all about when it comes to biblical covenant. You have to realize that or you have to see that man really has nothing to offer. So in, when the covenant is made by God, as we would uh, see uh, after, uh, later on, it was really God who, be, who, who initiated the covenant. It was God that confirmed the covenant. It was God who said, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. And I'm taking an oath out of my own name because there really is no other name higher than me that I will have to take an oath on my own name that I will not withhold my part on this covenant. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful, okay? So let's go ahead. Okay, nobody, uh, nobody thinks it's beautiful. Probably, okay, well, let's go. I'll show you how beautiful the covenants of God are. Okay, let's go ahead. So Bible covenants, there's actually a, a couple of them in the uh, Bible uh, covenants. First one that you, you, you probably familiar with is the covenant that he made with Noah. You see this every time you see a rainbow. The Bible says that every, every time you see that sign, this is the covenant. This is the agreement that I'm making with earth, the humans and everything that's on earth. Never again will I destroy this planet with a flood. And so far, God has been true to his word, isn't he not? There has never been a catastrophic global, global tsunami or global flood that has destroyed the earth ever since he said, never again will I destroy the earth. So God was true to his word. What was man's part in that covenant? Nothing. Man had no part in that covenant but just to receive and to believe that God is true to his word. That's how the covenants of God work. So let's go ahead. And there's another covenant, the Bidic covenant, but we won't touch that. I'm going to touch on three covenants because this is really where we are. Okay. So first covenant that God made is with Abraham. So Bible covenants. Abraham. And you can find this in Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3. So it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curse you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. <laughs> I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curse you. And in, and in all the families, and in you, I'm sorry, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God appears to Abraham and said, Abraham, I am making this covenant with you. I will make you great. I will bless you. I will expand you. I will put you in a great place. And when all this blessing comes, you will be a blessing to the entire nation. All God's part. What is Abraham's part? Nothing. Well, really, his part is to believe and to trust God. God said, walk before me and be blameless. Meaning, have this constant fellowship with me and do exactly as I tell you. Know the will that I will tell you. That's Abraham's part. So going back to the covenant, who's a gainer in this covenant? Abraham. Abraham has nothing on this part but to believe and to trust God that God said, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will expand you. See? I will protect you. That's really what uh, another part of this. And because of all of that, you will be a blessing. Isn't that a beautiful? Isn't that so amazing that God, see, going back to Mark Zuckerberg, if Mark Zuckerberg says, Arm and I am making an agreement with you. I'm giving you $1 billion. I'll probably wonder, what do I have to do? Uh, just be yourself. Okay. Just be yourself. Now, I'll probably start wondering, why would he think of such thing? Why would he give me a billion dollars? Was it because I'm good? Was it because I'm handsome? Which I am, I believe. Right, Noi? Noi said, declare it. <laughs> you guys are not listening today. <laughs> declare it. Only your mother will tell you that. Isn't it? And your wife, perhaps, hopefully. <laughs> but that's it. I'll probably start wondering, what is it with Mark Zuckerberg that he said, I'll give you a billion dollars? Is it because I'm good? No, nah, probably. Do I own anything under my name? I don't know, do I have titles to a land? Do I, own, uh, do I have a title to, uh, to a position? No, and that's exactly what happened to Abraham. Abraham was just a man out of the entire world, and God said, I choose you, Abraham, because why? Because I am a good God, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will expand you. I will protect you, and when all this happens, you will become a blessing to the entire world. And that church is the first, that is the Abrahamic, or the, the covenant that God made with Abraham. To you and to your seed. Beautiful, isn't it? Every time I read this, I, in fact, I was telling my wife uh, 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 this week, I was meditating on this, and I couldn't stop but to cry. Because there was something new. So I was telling her, you know, I feel like God sometimes is like an onion. No, not like Shrek, like an onion, right? He stinks, No. He's got layers of revelations for you to, uh, to, to he, like he peels up layers after layers just to show how good he is. And that's what I was telling her. I feel like I, I was crying while I was meditating on this. I was like, good thing I had my shades on so my coworkers wasn't, uh, couldn't see. But it's so, it's so good. So that's the covenant. That's the first covenant that I want uh, that, um, that to present to you. God made a covenant to man when man has nothing to offer him. It was all God. Man was merely a recipient. He was not a contributor in this covenant. It was all God. See, can you imagine? Okay, 
Uh, I mean, I, I can't stop imagining uh, God, uh, Abraham was saying, Lord, I have nothing. Okay, Abraham, it's your turn. What do you have? And God would probably say, well, okay, Abraham, I have the universe. I have the cosmos. I have the earth. What do you have? Because part of that covenant, go ahead and uh, see, Abraham at one point actually doubted God when God made this covenant. So God has to allow him to see the ceremony. Go ahead, the next verse. And this is the ceremony that God had to do in order for Abraham to really believe that I am serious about this covenant, Abraham. So this is what happened. Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 9, it says, So he said to him, God told Abraham, look out in the sky. If you can count the numbers of stars in the heavens, then your descendants would be as numerous as they. And Abraham said, but how shall I know this? How can this be? So God, uh, so God did this. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a cow, or a female cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them into two down the middle and placed each pieces opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. So he brought a cow with him, a ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. What he did is he cut them in half. All three animals, he cut them in half. So this was, and this is not God's way, but this is really an illustration for Abraham so he would understand that God was serious about this, okay? When God uses illustrations for us, it's in a way that we can understand it so that we can be confident that God is true to his word. So this is what it is. This is an Eastern practice back in the days where they, when, when two parties make a covenant, an agreement, they would get animals cut in half and put them side by side. And the two parties would walk one side, one side. Don't have a partner to walk with me. So they would walk and meet in the middle and they would walk across. And that's how they do covenants back then. That's how they do agreements. So both parties would walk in between the two animals. And when you walk in between the two animals, what you're saying is, what is mine is yours, and what is yours is mine. And that's why marriage is a covenant. What is mine is mine, and what is yours is mine. No. That's not the way marriage covenant works. If that's how you work your marriage covenant, you're in for a failure. See, the covenant is what, you're, what, uh, Ab- what God was uh, showing Abraham is, what is mine, Abraham, is yours. And what is yours is mine. What does Abraham have? Exactly nothing. But yet God made a covenant with him. And God is continuing that covenant with us. Whatever God had, he said, is yours. And whatever I have is mine. Okay, it's not what you have is mine and what I have is mine. Okay, that's, that's the wrong. That's wrong. So that's what he illustrated. And then it says, then he brought all this to him and cut them into down the middle And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those two, those pieces. So it says there that it came to pass when the sun went down, Abraham fell into a a sleep. Good things happen when you fall asleep, just like Adam. When the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those two pieces. Remember. It's the parties that's making covenants that's supposed to pass in between those two animals. Why? Because they're making an agreement that I will be true to this covenant. I will be true to this agreement. If I fail this agreement, it is as good as these animals. I should be dead. That's why your covenant of marriage says, till death do you part. 
that's the agreement. That's the way the covenant is. But yet here, as you see, Abraham didn't walk between the animals. Who walked? It says a smoking oven and a burning torch. Two objects walk in between the animals. It wasn't Abraham. Abraham, and these two objects are really pictures of God. A burning oven, he's a consuming fire. A, a, a burning torch, he is a pillar of fire. Jesus said in the New Testament, I am the light of this world. So who walked in Abraham's place? It was Jesus. Jesus took the place of Abraham in this covenant as a representative, as a substitute, that in case if it was Abraham and he failed in this agreement, then everything will come crumbling down. But his substitute was perfect. See that? His substitute was Jesus, the burning torch. Jesus can never fail. It is an ironclad covenant that God made with Abraham. Abraham, because he had a substitute to walk his responsibility and to walk his uh, part in the covenant, will never fail. So that makes this covenant really eternal covenant. You see that, church? This is an eternal covenant. And what is the stupid, what is the, what is, what did God say in this covenant? I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will protect you. I will expand you. And when all this happens, when all that blessing comes, you will become a blessing to the nation. Amen? So is God mean? No. Okay. Now watch the next covenant. So this is God's covenant. God, God, this, that was the, the, the covenant that God made with Abraham. So, so when you continue reading, of course, that's from Genesis. Then, then as God said, this is the blessings that I will give you, will expand, you will become great. And truly, that's what happened to them. They became great. They became a great nation. They ended up in Egypt. They ended up being slaves. Okay, and then comes the next covenant. God made the deliverer out of them, which is whose name is Moses. And, and God, through, uh, through all the miracles that he has performed in Egypt, they're now at Mount Sinai. And this, hap and this is the second covenant, or really this is another covenant that happened with them. And this, I would say, is Israel, is really God made a covenant with Israel. And if you've read your Bible, you can also, you can, it's, it's almost like it's, uh, uh, it's Israel's covenant. It's the covenant that was made in Mount Sinai. So some, it's also referred to as the Sinaitic covenant. It's also called the covenant of the law. It's because it, it happened in Mount Sinai. And this is what happened. And I'll explain to you as we go. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all this word. Okay, so really they were under Abraham's covenant, Abraham's agreement with God that, uh, that God would bless them. They became so numerous they, that they ended up in Egypt, and now they're at Mount Sinai. God promised them the land, and now they're trying to enter the land. And God talked to Moses a few, verse, or a few chapters before uh, 24. God spoke to Moses and said, Moses... I want to extend this covenant that I made with Abraham. I'm paraphrasing it, okay? 
I want to extend this covenant with, that I made with Abraham. If you truly obey what I say, you would always be to me a special people, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, identity. That's uh, what AJ preached a couple of weeks ago. That's their identity. But in their arrogance, they actually said, no, Lord, tell us what to do, and we will do it. So God changed, and this is what he said, okay. But the main covenant or the main words, all these words that uh, Moses uh, that, uh, says here is really the Ten Commandments. That is really the command or the, the covenant that the Israel made in Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. And this is what the world knows. Most of us really, or most of the world knows of God is really the God that came down and gave the Ten Commandments. And if we break the Ten Commandments, God is like Thor with his hammer ready to hit you in the head. Isn't it? That's, that's the way the world views God. That he gave us a Ten Commandment, and if we fail that Ten Commandment, he always has his hammer ready to hit us. And for, perhaps if I'm just good enough, I'm I actually able to be so good enough and follow everything that God said, then perhaps God would bless me. That's how the world knows God. And I'm, I'm thinking that's what this person's observation was, that God was so mean because that's what he saw, everything that happened after the Ten Commandments. So really, it says all these words. So the, the stipulation for this covenant is that everything that God says, they have to follow. Everything, all. Everything, all, everything, all. Okay? And this is really the, this is just to sum it up. Most of you have heard of this. Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is the verse what we read most of the times when it comes to the giving area, part of giving. So this is really what it says. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And after this, it's listed down all the blessings that God has for them. When God made a covenant with Abraham, God just simply said, I will bless you. Now, when this covenant was written, God literally wrote down, or Moses, really, Moses wrote it one by one, what these blessings are. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And after that, all the curses was listed. The curses was actually longer than the blessing. And this really is, I believe, a lot of what the world knows of God. He blesses you when you're able to do everything good that he has told you to do. And then if for some reason you fail him, you get cursed. And a lot of times we think of it that way. Oh, probably the reason why God is not answering my prayer is because I've done something wrong. Or probably the reason why I'm going through this is because I failed on some area that God commanded me to do something. That's why I cannot get the blessings of God. The same reason I believe that that person said, I, I, I think God is so mean in the Old Testament. And if you continue as you read this, this is coming from Deuteronomy, you will find out or you would see in your reading that after this, the story of Israel just went downwards. After Deuteronomy, you got Joshua. Joshua was good. 
See, and what, what was the agreement? You have to follow everything that the Lord said. Everything. If you fail on one, that's not considered everything. And that's what James says regarding the, covenant, the, regarding the commandments. If you try to keep the commandments and you, if you fail in one, then it's as good as failing in everything. So that was the, the Israel's law. It's okay, you can be sad. I'll lift you up after this. Okay? So that's what happened. After Deuteronomy came Joshua. Joshua was okay. After Joshua, failure. After the book of uh, Joshua came the book of Judges, failure. After failure, after failure. After the book of Judges came Samuel. I forgot where the story of fruit is in between. But it was Samuel, the, the prophet. What happened? Failure after failure. The kings was failure after failure. The prophets, failure after failure. They did not fully obey the words of the Lord. And that's why he looked so mean in the Old Testament. It was full of punishment. Even the best of them failed. David. My man, David. The man after God's own heart. He failed. He had to go to the punishment. Solomon. The very loved of God, that's his name, loved by God, he failed, had to go to the punishment. And that's what happened. The story of failure, I know it's a sad story. It really is. They failed after, it's failure after failure after failure. And then finally, God said in Jeremiah chapter 34, which is also written in Hebrews chapter 8, this is what he said. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Go ahead. And it will not be, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For Okay, so finally, this verse appears in the book of Jeremiah. If you know Jeremiah, the event that took place in Jeremiah, and when Jeremiah wrote Jeremiah, they were in exile. They were under the Babylonians. Am I correct? Bible scholars, am I correct? Forgot. Okay, but they were in an exile. And that's where you get this, uh, this uh, uh, very popular passage. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. In the midst of their exile, God said, I have a plan for you. I have a future for you. And then he says, I will make a new covenant with them. Because they disregarded this covenant that I made with them in the desert. I want you to look at this. It says, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, days are coming that I will make. Did you, did you read that correctly? He said, finding fault. God found fault in a covenant that he made. So it says, it says, finding fault with them. For if the first covenant had been faultless, how can that be? How can God make mistakes? If God makes mistakes, the very fabric of creation would crumble. Isn't it not? Then, we have to make, then now we have to ask ourselves, did God make a mistake with me? See, but that's what it says. He found fault in the covenant that he made. But how can that be? David cried out that the law is perfect, which is the covenant of the law. The law is pure. So how can there be a fault in what God has ordained? 
okay, we'll continue next week. No, we're not. <laughs> so how can God find fault on something that he himself has, has started? How can that be? Think about it. How can God say, I find fault in this? When God created the world, he said, everything is good. Good, 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 good. Fault. So no. So what's the fault? What is the fault that God, that God found in the covenant that he made in the desert? You got to think about it. Because if you think God makes mistake, then really, what about the entire creation? It will, the fabric of creation would fall. The, the, the foundation of our faith would fall. It will just go down because if God makes mistake, then how can we really be confident in having faith in him? So what was the fault that he found in the covenant? So you, if you compare the two covenants, here's what he found. This is what I believe he found fault on. Abraham's covenant begins with the letter I. I will bless you. I will make you great. I will enlarge you. I will protect you. I will bless you. It's all God's part. In the, covenant of, in the covenant in the desert, it says, if, if, if you obey. The Ten Commandments is full of, you shall, you shall, you shall not, you shall keep, you shall, you shall keep. Abraham's covenant is, I will, I will, I will, not me, God. Okay? God says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do that. Covenant in Sinai, you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. Everything is, the, the, the covenant in the desert is all about us, but Abraham's covenant is all about him. Did you see that? It says, I will bless you. Church, the blessings of God. That's all he spoke of. There was no ifs, no buts, no why, no how. It's just I, 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 I. I will do all of this. But then the, the, the law says, you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. See, church, God is full of blessings in his heart. His very nature is really goodness. In Romans chapter 2, it says, Do you not or do you despise the richness of his goodness, his forbearance, and his long suffering, not knowing that it is his goodness that leads people to repentance? He's full of goodness. Moses there to ask God, Lord, show me your glory. But instead, what did he do? He said, I will let all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name. You know, before I used to think when God said that, he would pass one time and say, I am good. But then I realized as I continue and I grow in, in the word, I realized that what God said, I will let all my goodness pass before you, is that goodness will always be in front of you. My goodness will always be a step ahead of you. And that's why David was also able to declare, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's what it says. Then when he proclaimed his name, he said, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, says long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. The goodness of God is that nature of him that he is inclined to bestow blessedness to his people. He takes holy pleasure when he sees his people happy. That's his goodness. And that's why in the, in the covenant that he made with Abraham, his first word simply says, I will bless you. 
because that's his heart. God's heart is full of goodness that all he, and it comes out. He's inclined to do it. That's why he said, I will bless you. But with the covenant in the desert, God could not just be good according to his nature. The blessing is dependent on the people. And that's why their whole story is a failure. And I believe that's what God found as a fault in the covenant of the law. God cannot just spread his arms and say, I am this good and I want to give you all the good that I have because I am that good. I have all these blessings for you and I want to give it to you. That's the goodness of God. But because the covenant of the law says, if you shall, unless you do this, then I can open my arms and give you all the blessings. And if you don't do this, then I have to give you these curses. That, I believe, church, is what God found as a fault in this covenant because he cannot. He cannot just simply open up his arms and say, here's all my goodness, and here it is, and I'm giving all to you. All you have to do is believe me and trust me. That's why he said, I find fault in this covenant because now my blessing is dependent on your goodness. It's not dependent on my goodness. When Mark Zuckerberg gave me that $1 billion, it was dependent on his richness and his goodness. Not, it was not dependent on my goodness. It was the same thing with Abraham. When God said, I will bless you, it was dependent on the goodness of God, not in the goodness of Abraham. And you will find that in, in the story in Deuteronomy. I did not choose you because you were more numerous than any other people. But I chose you because I'm a good God. That's why I chose you. And that's why he found fault that I, he cannot openly bless his people because the law was blocking his blessing. And the law is not even the main covenant. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says that the law was only added. The main covenant was the covenant he made with Abraham. And that shows us the heart of God is always about goodness. The law was added because of their arrogance. But, it's a, but then Paul also says that, but when man makes a covenant, you cannot add to it. Once it's signed, you cannot add to it. You cannot, uh, uh, what, what is it, null it, because it's already confirmed. So the law that was added on the side never really voided the covenant of Abraham. What it did is it, it just changed the way the blessing came. When the blessings was really dependent on the goodness of God, the covenant of the law made the blessing dependent on us, on you. And this happened for 1,500 years until the new covenant came and Jesus was the one that ushered in this covenant. And in this new covenant, this is what it says. Next verse, please. So for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And it begins with I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their gods, and they shall be my people. Next. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I, there's that I again, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. See that? This is the full expressions of the heart of God. When he says, I will do it. I, 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 I. It's no longer upon you, 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 and you. It now goes back to I, I, I. The new covenant is not even, the word new here is really not even the word new, new. But it's really, it's about renewal. It's to renew 
the covenant. But of course, Jesus played a part in this renewed covenant. It's really all about Jesus. So it says, he goes back to I, I, I. So none of them shall teach their neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. Through the Holy Spirit, we can all know God. We can all, just like what Pastor Mark said, through the living word, we can get a rebuilt word. We all are capable and we all have the ability to hear God and to know God. See, church, if the book of Acts were to continue, or if, the, uh, if, if God allowed it that the Bible were to continue, all of us should have a name after Revelation and say, because this is my testament, this is my experience of God, and we write it down. The Bible would probably be so long because all of us, the entire Christian world, would have a book to its own. You would have a book on Ban, the writings according to Ban, the writing according to Pastor Mark, the writing according to Ruel, the writing according to Armin. Because we all now have an experience of God. But of course, God still needs to correct it. Okay, he got to rightly divide it. Okay? So a new covenant. For I will be merciful to their, un- the, the, the greatest clause of this covenant. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. The new covenant. Did it go away with the old covenant? We'll find out later. Some say, oh, so now we, are, we can be lawless because... We're no longer under the law. No, it says, I will put a new law in their minds and in their heart. It's no longer an internal, an external law, but in an internal law. A better law. A law of love, a law of liberty, and I forget the third law of the New Testament. Okay? But that's what it's saying. But God would be the one to do a work from within us. So go on. It says, verse 13. is very interesting. In that he says, a new covenant... He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to banish away. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to banish away. So the new covenant is ushered in by Jesus. The Lord remained to be faithful. He remained to be a forgiving and forgetting God. He says, I will remember, uh, I will no longer remember your sins. But yeah, we like to remember our sins. We rehearse our sins. But God said, I have forgotten your sins. That's why Noe was uh, exhorting us earlier. See? You declare your justification. You don't declare your failure. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that we may become the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because God said he has forgotten all my sins. Once and for all, it is the old covenant that says that when you do good, that's when you're going to get good from God. But when you do bad, you're going to get bad from God. The new covenant tells us that all your sins, that's what he says, all. Right? I will be merciful to write in their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. So we should also stop remembering our sins. And here's what it, and uh, to end, it says, In that he says, a new covenant has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to banish. So we should allow the, what is all the obsolete to banish. Now, let me show you an illustration. How many of you still has these kinds of phone? Anybody? You still have this phone? No? One? Okay, brother. I won't offend you, okay? 
Anybody else? One of, uh, how, of, of how many still has this phone? Okay, how many of you has the smarter phone? Who? Almost, not everybody, but almost everybody. Some of you are shy. You must have the iPhone 10. Or you either have a Samsung. No, I have a Samsung. They're both Samsung. So how many of you uh, have these new phones? And how many of you have this phone, the flip phones? Only one. Can you Instagram with this? Can you Facebook with this? Can you uh, stream live with this? YouTube with this? Any app in this? Can you text on this? Can you make a phone call in this? Practical, right? You cannot do anything on this. And that's probably the reason why you got rid of this is because you can do all of that in this, the new and living way. The old and obsolete way. I'm sorry, brother. I know you're practical and that's wise. Okay? So the new and living way, the new covenant, the old covenant. I was so jealous of Jerwin like two weeks ago. Where's Jerwin? There he is. He got his cap on. But I think two weeks ago while he was playing the guitar, I was sitting over there and I saw him with a new haircut with a line on his hair. So courtesy of Efren Olivaria, I went to, to him yesterday and I sparked me my line. I wanted to do a highlight like AJ, but I think that would be too extreme. <laughs> but that's rightly dividing the hair. The old covenant, the new covenant. I have, I've been sporting the same hairstyle for about 20 years, just, just the messy one. And then finally, I was inspired by Jerwin when I saw that. And so I went to Efren yesterday and I sported it today. See, I know we love the new and living way because it shows in our phone. <laughs> we have this tendency. We want the new and living way. So going back to that rebuild word, what was the rebuild word that God showed me? Go ahead, the last slide. This is the rebuild word that God showed me. I do not change, nor do I repent. My actions are based on my commandments. My heart remains the same. God can only act according to the agreement that he made. That's how he acts. His, we shouldn't, uh, and our tendency is we express or rather, we project what we experience out of God. God's heart remains, which is goodness. And he's, he has expressed that to Abraham. And he has expressed that to Jesus Christ, that there was a renewal of that same covenant. We belong in the blessings of Abraham because of Jesus Christ. Now, when we see God being full of punishment and being mean, it does not mean that God is mean or he is full of punishment. You cannot find in the Bible that God is rat. He has anger, but he is not wrath. Or he's not, he, uh, John says he is love. But yet, you see and you read his stories, and you read it as if he's so mean. But God is not mean. He acts according to what he has spoken. And because the way the law, the covenant of the law was written, he could not bless David when David made a mistake. Now, in the new covenant, just like Abraham had a substitute, in the new covenant, we also have a substitute. We have Jesus as our substitute. He was the one that also walked the line per se or walked between the animal. In the Old Testament time, 
God gave an appropriation for them that if they sin, they bring an animal sacrifice to the priests. When the animal sacrifice is presented by that sinner or the worshiper, the high priest looks at the animal. The lamb, the ram, the pigeon, the cow, if you're rich. And what the, high, the priest would do is he would examine the animal, the sacrificial animal. He would check if it's good, if it's perfect. He never examines the one that brought the animal. He never examines the sinner. He examines the animal. Jesus became our Passover lamb. He became the lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. That's why when he was at the cross, God the Father was not examining you and I. He was examining our substitute, Jesus, and God looked at him in, out, upside down, and he found Jesus to be a perfect sacrifice for us as a substitute. God never examined the one that brought, or the, the one that is in, he only, basically he only looked at the substitute. And when God was pleased with the substitute, and since because we are in Christ, we died in Christ, we were punished in Christ, and we were raised in Christ, Everything about us can only be seen in Christ. God never directly looks at us. He looks at the substitute. And our substitute is perfect. Our substitute is good. And that's why his blood is effective for removing all our sins. Isn't that great? And that really is the heart of God. His heart remains the same. His actions may not, his action may be construed that he's mean, but it's not based on that. You gotta have a proper word view. You gotta divide it correctly. And as I began by saying, the Old Testament is uh, 49 books, the New Testament is 27 books, but the four Gospels actually fall under the Old Testament law. Why? Because Jesus was still alive. All the disciples were non-believers or, or have not been forgiven until he died. Amen? So when you read around the four Gospels, you also need to learn how to rightly divide the Old Testament and the New Testament. Amen? It's still Paul unders that if you do good, then you will get good. If you do bad, then you will get bad. And, th and that's why in Luke chapter 18, I believe, okay, I'm almost out of time. In Luke chapter 18, a rich man came to Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And God said, You know the commandments, do them. Do not kill, do not steal, do not, do not uh, commit adultery. And the man said, All of this I have fulfilled, or all of this I have done from my youth. Then Jesus said, <clears throat> Jesus said, Okay, then one thing you lack, come follow me, or sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Another passage, it says, unless your righteousness exceeds those of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, then you will never enter the kingdom of God. This is New Testament. Woe to us, because we don't know any Sadducees and Pharisees. Then we cannot enter the kingdom of God. But because we can rightly divide the world, we know that when Jesus spoke that, he was still alive. Because it's red letter. He was the one that wrote it. Or he was the one that spoke it. So rightly dividing the word of God, the heart of God remains good. His actions can be misconstrued because when we read, we see him as doing this. Amen? Church, God is a good God. Amen? Amen. 
Let me just pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are a father unto us. <clears throat> the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son really pictures or really encapsulates the heart of God. When Jesus told of the story of the prodigal son, it talks about us two sons. One son asked for his inheritance, and the father divided his inheritance and gave it to them. The young son took his inheritance, went off to a faraway land, spent it in wild living. Then finally, when he was at the rock bottom of his life, he realized, the servants of my father eat better than me. So he conjured up a, a, a repentance statement saying, I will go back to my father and I will tell him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son, but make me one of your servants. When the boy went back, it says the father saw him. That means the father has been waiting, he's been watching for his return. The father ran, the father embraced him, the father kissed him over and over again. That's the heart of the father. Without a word from the son, without one single word of repenting, the father ran, the father embraced, the father kissed him. And then finally, he was able to say, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer to, to be worthy to be your son. Then the father said, take the robe, bring it here, put it on him. Take the sandals, bring it here. Take the padded cap and kill it here. For my son who's been away has returned. Amen. If you have been away, I'm giving you an opportunity to return. God, your father in heaven is really has an open arms waiting for you. And if that's you, let me, I want you to pray with, uh, pray with me. If that's you, you're, you're one who thinks that God is so mean and that's why I've been staying away from him. I hope that I convince you your God is good. Your God is good. You can do business with him now. In fact, let's just, let me just lead you into a prayer. If that's you, just follow along with me. If that's you and you know you've been running away from God, you've run away from him. And you think that he's a, he, he, that he, you're no longer worthy to be his son? The father said, I'm here. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to embrace you. Let's just pray this prayer. Father, thank you. Father, we come to you today knowing that there is nothing in us. But yet you chose us. You chose to have this partnership with us. And Father, thank you that we can rest assured and we can be confident that your nature is good towards us so father receive us father change the way we look at you lord give us a proper word view so that we can apply it as our world view have your way in our lives in jesus name amen